Dice Company contains fantasy violence, mature themes, and unapologetic bickering. No feelings were hurt in the making of it, but listener discretion is advised. Dice Company will always be free, but it's not free to make. Please consider supporting us on Patreon or Apple Podcasts and get access to our weekly roundtable show Extra Roll. Just follow any of the links in the show notes for this chapter. Welcome one and all to Dice Company, where a group of old friends weave tales of triumph, heroism and despair under the guise of playing Dungeons and Dragons. My name is Tom and I'll be your DM through the continuing adventures of this bunch of zombie bait. Bunch of zombie bait, please introduce yourselves and tell the audience one fun fact about your characters. I just want to first point out, you don't make mistakes anymore. There's no chance to jump in and attack you in the off and I'm, I don't know how I feel about this. And now I'm just waiting in the wings for you to make a mistake. Hi, my name is Charlie. I play Vander Finnick. This week's revelation is about the dungeons or the darkness in which we find ourselves. Vander is not affected in the same way as Benny by the caverns in which we find ourselves. It reminds him, in fact, of his time in Castle. It, it reminds him, in fact, of his time. How the hell do I say that? Incorrectly, by the sounds of it. It reminds him of his time while incarcerated. Such was the Stockholm syndrome of all that. He actually finds oddly that he is at home in the gloom and the darkness. Very nice. It's a shame about the multiple trip-ups on the way through it. You've, you've now just assured <laughs> that that makes the cut, which is really oh, upsetting. Yes. <laughs> it reminds me of my time listening to you give that fact. It was long. <laughs> I wasn't thirsty when it started. <laughs> I really liked your fact. As always, the deep, chewy centre of Vanda is becoming ever more visible. Does, so the, you're basically, you're saying that the darkness and the kind of situation down here reminds him of his time in a weird way, kind of safely incarcerated, like in a kind of position he became accustomed to. And in, so in that sense, it's made him, he feels like at home here. Pretty much. I, I'm going to avoid saying I was born in the darkness, moulded by it. but Because <laughs> well, you've ripped off too many franchises already. I haven't ripped <laughs> off enough. There's so many to go. I'm at my limit. Stockholm Syndrome, essentially. He was spent many, many hours in darkness without being able to speak. And after so much time of that, he found it not scary, but in a way comforting. Fascinating. Like it. Uh, this is, of course, a world in which Stockholm doesn't exist as a place. So. It's mm. called Roanoke Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hi, I'm Harry. I play Tok, an imposing six foot eight automaton. Tok is very keen to find and work on Mithril or... Uh, which Tok really hopes there's some of in this uh, horrible dungeon we're in. The light and flexible metal is said to be capable of very subtle creations of uh, armour that can be crafted to be virtually silent when worn, uh, worn under clothes, or that can never be sullied by muck and grime. So this could greatly aid the party's attempts at stealth, intrigue and vanity. Harry, you're very knowledgeable in the fantasy world. Where does Mithril come from? Because I've heard the term across a bunch of different, like, fantasy games or media. But, do you know, is it a D&D &D thing or is it just a general? I mean, it's definitely in Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's the first place I heard of it. It's probable that Tolkien found it somewhere in some obscure, like, uh, Norse myth or something like that. I sense that you weren't able to speak Elvin and now you're just throwing different kinds of shade at Tolkien, <laughs> saying that he ripped off all his ideas. <laughs> He ripped them all off. When will we find Mithril in Augustus's dressing cabinet? Quiet, stylish armour. My clothes have been famously sullied and very noisy to this point. <laughs> I think we should attempt to survive the vast horde of zombies that are currently knocking down our door rather than worrying about our dressing. 
Stay calm, Shags. I wouldn't want a halftime team talk from you. (laughs) (laughs) Also, vanity? What's the vanity aspect? Do you mean because Uh, the armor can be made? Oh, okay. Okay. It's a cheap shot of Augustus. I'm embracing it. I'm all for mithril armor. It's actually a very expensive shot. If you're going to be vain, you might as well do it right. Okay, hi, I'm Alex, and I'm playing Augustus Zeno. And once again, I'm taking you to Augustus's teenage education in the northern realm of Lumatorn. Now, this was at the height of the war between Cantioch and Salazar's empire. At this time, there was a great fear of spies in Cantioch, and especially around a young nobleman like Augustus, being a Denothlian noble. Augustus' best friend at this time was a boy called Rufus. Augustus really looked up to Rufus and they had a great time together. He was perhaps even slightly in awe of this big, strong boy who was good at sport and top of the class. But then, unfortunately for Augustus, Rufus was unmasked as an empire spy who had been sent to relay information on Augustus. So the headmaster took this badly and summarily crucified Rufus out in front of the school on his discovery, leaving terrible psychological scars for Augustus. Well, that's a rare kind of darkness. What school was this? Presumably the same one Vander went to. <laughs> quite, quite possibly. Wheat Valley High, it was called. You mean crucified in the true sense of the term. He was nailed to a cross. No, he wasn't like told off really nastily. Wow. Well, I've got Lumatorn down as a bleak northern realm, a bit sort of Winterfell. And so I kind of had the early execution from the first episode of Game of Thrones in mind. You know, they, they'd... They, they needed good reports to go back to the southern kingdom where Augustus came from. My God. Al doesn't need uh, the reference of Game of Thrones to know about Lumatorn because he has played an entire campaign set there. Doesn't remember that though, does he? You're in a safe space, Al. <laughs> Cold, snowy, brutal. Like I so had it in mind as a rather similar sort of place. So for context, if spying gets you crucified, what happens if someone forgets their homework? Well, but I mean, being an empire spy near a, a prominent young Denothlian noble, like, you know, it's bad to get caught in that situation. Yeah, that's pretty bad. But I'm going to take that as you lose a hand for the homework. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't really thought about what else the school does. <laughs> Obviously a great place to produce paladins. Exactly. What a paladin. What a paladin. Hello. I'm Dave and I play Benny. While down in the cabins, there's been some kind of downtime and Benny's been thinking about his dog Lenny and how he misses him and how it would be really nice to have a whole load of dogs, like a nice family of doggies. Thinks that would be lovely and would also upset Augustus as an extra bonus. Uh, He hasn't thought about the practicalities of this in any way at all. You know, it's not something that he's thought through logically, but he has been naming his imaginary group of dogs. So as well as Lenny, he would have Kenny, Jenny, Penny, Svenny, and Ignatius J. Puppy Dog. <laughs> Best fact ever. Always here for uh, Lenny the Dog uh, <laughs> facts. Well, and it's naming stuff as well, so right, right up top street. <laughs> 10 out of 10. I love that fact. Well, Augustus is going to put an ad on LinkedIn for a new group. Well, thank you very much. And through the locked vault we go in the next chapter of Dice Company. Last time on Dice Company, having narrowly escaped an attack from an Umberhulk, you then drew attention to yourselves in Verokir, 
the abandoned dwarven city of the dead. A sea of zombies as far as the eye could see descended upon you, forcing you to escape at speed on your stagecoach. With Benny reacting poorly to stress, Vanda desperately tried to keep him calm while Augustus remained fairly oblivious and talked through everything he had at the zombies. A decision to turn right led the party to a twisted and broken end to the track, but an entrance to a long forgotten branch of the dark bank beckoned you in. Decamping from the stagecoach as the zombie hordes swarmed the area, you shut the door behind you and Benny got to work unlocking a huge vault door. While the rest of you investigated the area, discovering a graffitied mural on the wall showing an underdrow elf leading an army of undead against stoic dwarves. There is a loud click as Benny finishes unlocking the vault door. What would you like to do? Heads up, chaps. Looks like we're in. And then I take a step back from the door and I say, any chance there's out in here? Excellent news, Benny. I believe that if anything lies in that vault, it will be most valuable. The Dark Bank is a well-known purveyor of treasures. I thought we were looking for a way out. Oh yes, of course, a way out too. But you know, trinkets will be handy. If we have to go back through the front door, we could throw a few gold coins at zombies and make our exit that way. <laughs> Vanda's answer to this is scuttling in the direction of the vault. Okay, hold, hold up, hold up. I've got an idea. And I take a few steps back from the door and encourage others to do that. And then I would like to use my mage hand to open it rather than doing it myself. Uh, very clever. Tok and Tick will step to the, the bit that first opens uh, in front of the rest of the party. Vanda similarly takes up a position that is defensible. Likewise, Augustus. With you all in position, you pull the door open and the ancient hinges creak. Inside, the dusty vault is a mess. It's covered with opened and destroyed crates and chests, scattered pieces of parchment, and there are a number of bedrolls, lit candles, some water skins, half-eaten rations, and even a chest set on an overturned crate. Everything before you suggests the area has been used recently. In the center of the vault, lying splayed out like a decorative rug, is the carcass of an umber hulk, its chitinous armor plates still in place, but all flesh has been picked clean. Where the back wall should be, there's a pile of flattened rubble and a 20-foot-tall tunnel roughly burrowed out and stretching away into the darkness. Can I have perception checks from everyone, please? Uh, just eight from Benny. Uh, 22 for Vanda. 20 from Tok. And an 18 from Tick. Uh, and 21 from Augustus, a natural 20. Good lord. All right. Um, Vanda, Tok, Tick, and Augustus. Basically everyone except Benny. <laughs> Busy with a mage hand. Because <laughs> you're concentrating <laughs> on the mage hand. As you're looking around the debris of the room, you notice next to one of the unfurled bedrolls is a single long, thin wooden box. Uh, it appears to be in immaculate condition with a single golden lock. It is the only undisturbed and undamaged item you can see in the entire vault. Banda moves into the vault, examining the various flotsam and jetsam that is there to be seen, and observes the box. Benny, I believe your skills may be required again. Benny sighs deeply. <laughs> Yet another thing, but um, wanders over to take a look at the box. Let us hope we don't find another box inside. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like to check out for traps etc please character actively looking for a trap can attempt a perception check or an investigation check i will attempt an investigation check go for it uh 13 Ouch. perfectly safe 
While there doesn't appear to be any obvious signs of traps that can damage you, you do get a strange sense from the box. The fact that it's completely unmarked and unscuffed, and it only has a very simple latch lock on it, which you think would be very simple to open, and you don't understand why it appears not to have been opened. I pause and take a step back, and I say, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm a fan of this. Why has everything else been trashed and not this box? Do you wish to open it with a 10-foot hole, Benny? I mean, it might not be a bad idea. If nothing else, I'm, I'm doing it with the mage hand. I agree the box is, in its own way, concerning. I'm also concerned about the longevity of our current defences against the zombie horde outside. Can I suggest we investigate the tunnel and make sure we have a means of escape before we begin opening the box? Uh, Tok and, and Tick will go take the lead on, like, taking a look down the down the tunnel. And Benny, could you perhaps close the vault door behind us? Oh, I'd love to, Augustus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can tell you that you're, you're right busy, so I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, don't don't trouble yourself. <laughs> I, I mean, Benny, my good man, you did open it. And while I pay great attention to your locksmithery, it's not perhaps my strong suit. Okay, well, how about I'll show you how you do it? Wonderful. And I walk over to the vault, shut the door, and spin the lock. And it clicks as it spins, and it's locked. Really complicated. Augustus appears not to have watched that. <laughs> we are, like, absolutely sure we can just open it again, though, right? Well, that's what I was trying <laughs> okay. I feel, I feel like we've, we've done that now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether I can open it again, but I have made a point. <laughs> I mean, we're all going to die, but I think I won this one. Hermetically sealed ourselves into the final point Benny made. Tog and Tick are going to investigate the hole uh, and what is happening with the box. Anything? Or are you waiting until the investigation has happened first? Is there any possibility that the contents of the box could be some sort of flaming sword? Is it a shape that a flaming sword could possibly be in? It is sword-shaped. Augustus's eyes linger on the box before he accepts that we're going to have to go and look at this stupid thumb first. Give me a history check, Augustus. Oh, yes, please. Don't have good history. But you had such good schooling. Thirteen. The shape of the box and the design of it remind you of boxes that your father used to collect. Obviously being an avid sword collector himself, this looks like an elven-designed box to house a rather valuable sword. Okay, I, I share that with the group. Beware the drow seems like a relevant point to remember here, Augustus, before we are too hasty in opening the box. Once again, it looks like Augustus is having to use a lot of willpower, but he nods and doesn't reach out to kick the box open. Vanda does not look reassured, but turns in the direction of Tick and Tok to see how their investigations are going. <laughs> Investigation checks, please, Tick and Tok. Okay, yeah, so he'll light the uh, the bullseye lantern and shine it down the, uh, the corridor. Investigation... 21. Good investigation check. The edges of the tunnel have clearly been burrowed out. The size of it, and with the Umberhulk carcass in the middle, suggests that this is a tunnel created by an Umberhulk. More important than that are the footsteps you notice on the mud on the floor. Mm. By your estimation, there are four or five sets of footprints that have head into the tunnel. They are humanoid in shape. They look relatively fresh. Interesting. Four or five. I will uh, reiterate that to the uh, to the group. Well, there were lit candles, weren't there? So mm. we can assume people are more or less just up the tunnel. Uh, so Augustus says, Gentlemen, it strikes me we have nothing to fear from anyone who is alive in this place. Surely, in a place full of the undead, fellow living creatures are automatically one's allies. Let's approach cautiously so we don't startle them. I see no reason anyone should wish us any harm. It does seem unlikely that they would wish to turn against us. 
with so many obvious enemies around. Or, counterpoint, they've been in the dark for who knows how long and have got nothing left in the way of supplies and would uh, love to find out whether we've got any food or out useful that they could take off us. Cannibals, yes, possibly. I didn't say cannibals, I meant rations. <laughs> and what are we, Benny, but walking rations? <laughs> it would appear they are willing to eat Umber Hulk and Toc will point at the, uh, the skeleton on the floor and say, uh, there is fresh manticore further out in the city. My only point was, let's not rush up and say hi. You know, let's work out who these people are because this is very peculiar to me. Very wise, Benny. Let's keep our swords out, gentlemen, and approach cautiously. Then we should proceed into the tunnel. Agreed. You uh, opening sword box before we head on, Augustus? No, I have heeded Vander's extremely wise and thoughtful warning, and I shall think of little else as we proceed up the tunnel. If we live through this experience, we can come back down the tunnel, can't we? The tea and scrumpets and sword. As, as we leave, I'm going to make sure Benny is positioned at the back of the group. And as they're heading up the tunnel, I pause, turn, and use the mage hand to flick open the box, see what's in it. <laughs> what a team. With the rest of you heading into the long, dark tunnel, and he is as good as his word, spins round and using the mage hand, flicks the box open. Inside the long, beautifully crafted wooden box is a red velvet interior upon which lays an immaculate rapier. The golden plate hilt supports a razor-sharp blade and tip. Even laying motionless and from the distance you're at, it seems to hum with energy and power. Augustus? Yes, Benny? Augustus appears at your side instantly. Box fell open. Have a look. Augustus walks towards the box, his quivering fingers extending towards the hilt of the sword. As you move closer, you feel a warmth rising in your chest. Oh my. Unless anyone stops Augustus, he's definitely picking up the sword. Um, one, one sec. Can you, you can detect evil or something, can't you? Now might be a time. Very wise, Benny. And Augustus stops, his hand's still outstretched because he can't stop now. I mean, if there was ever a test devised to work out whether this person should be king, I, I feel he may be failing that test. <laughs> <laughs> Even Isildur took a few days to turn. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to pick the sword up, I think. Unless there's anything I perceive or is there any, can I do any like arcana check or anything to just see what I can? Yeah, give me an arcana check. Why not? Uh, so that is 12. There's definitely something magical about this sword. It is humming with power and it's almost calling your name. I mean, at the risk of this being the moment I cross the threshold into evil Sith Lord, I, I go and pick up the sword. As you grasp the hilt of the beautiful rapier, there is a whoosh in your mind and you hear the familiar voice of Tyr. Augustus, my newest champion, you have found me. Speak the words and light the world. Speak the words and light the world? Ooh. Am I supposed to know some words here? Like probably the most common prayer or whatever to Tyr. Which you've no doubt memorised. That's a paladin. <laughs> no, I don't know what to do. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? What a paladin. <laughs> Sorry, I'm the worst paladin ever. Having lifted the sword up and heard the words, your eyes are drawn back to the box where you see that there is a small piece of parchment kind of roughly nailed into the top lid of the box. On it is Elvish. Tertasa Asurinya. Do you speak Elvish? Yes, I do speak Elvish. It translates as ember. So, Augustus will lift up the sword and try saying ember. The sword ignites in flame. Oh, yes! 
Yes. Uh, Augustus is very tempted to go outside and fight the undead. You now have a plus one rapier, which can be ignited to deal fire damage by saying the word ember, which is also the name of the sword. Lovely. I turn to the others and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I opened Pox. He's going to be worse than ever, isn't he? Uh, Augustus yells, Denothlia! And runs up the tunnel. Very weird that they left this behind. Indeed, though I believe matters are now escalating. Yep, yep, yep. Let's yeah, go. Why are people not following Augustus? As Augustus has yelled Denothlia and charged down the tunnel, Vanda, your passive perception allows you to hear in the far distance the clinking of heavy armour. Augustus, as you're charging forward, you begin to hear it too. Somewhere ahead of you, there are multiple things moving and they are heavily armoured and they're heading in your direction. So Augustus is going to stop where he is to let the other guys catch up and then release the drift globe, obviously keeping the sword out, and then release the drift globe to go ahead and see what we're dealing with. Vanda hobbles up beside Augustus. Augustus, it may not be the best idea to show them your new toy, as of course, till moments ago, they thought it was theirs. I suggest we extinguish the fire, at least to meet these new people, if indeed they are people. Augustus looks sadder than anyone has ever looked, like a child whose Christmas presents have been whipped away from him. However, he sees the wisdom in what Vanda says and tries saying Ember again, maybe turn it off. And the flames of the sword de-ignite. And so he sheathes the sword uh, and then, yeah, get his normal rapier out, because just in case they recognize the, the sword, even when it's not ignited. Tok and Tick are going to get ready for a fight <laughs> at the front. And he jogs up and can't resist one last little jab and says, Yeah, um, very heroic, Augustus, charging into battle, yelling Denothlia and then uh, stopping to wait for everyone else to catch up. Lovely stuff. Anyway, could we try and be a little bit more subtle? And I uh, get my bow and arrows prepared and duck into darkness at the side of the tunnel. <laughs> a master of subtlety as always, Benny. Augustus barely resists pointing out that uh, Lenny's just been eaten by zombies. And he is many miles away, happy and healthy. <laughs> yeah, how far down this thing can we see? I mean, with the, I think Bullseye Lantern's meant to do 60 feet. Yeah. So are there any turns in that? No, it's dead ahead from where you currently are. Uh, there, there are obviously various divots in the earth, one which Benny is currently hiding behind. You have a fairly clear sight for at least 60 feet in front of you. Okay, then Tok and Tick will ready to uh, throw some of their uh, magic pebbles if uh, if anybody comes into eyesight and seems hostile. Vander adjusts his robes. From the darkness just beyond the point that you can see, you hear a, a shouted combination of words. Bomi Vela e Dafiria. What languages do you all speak, please? I speak Dwarven. Irish Gnomish. Uh, Elvish and Draconic. Elvish Gnomish. None of you understand the words that are being shouted. And then on the edge of the light that you can see, five heavily armoured figures stood in perfect formation, each with purple cloth military uniform over full plate armour, move into view. At the front, the leader is wearing a metal mask that represents a kind of orcish face and he has purple plumage on top of his helmet. I try well met gentlemen in Dwarven, see if I can find a common language. They, I take it they've well they've, they've heard us, they've seen us. The leader raises a bald fist hand in the air and then removes his helmet showing a heavily scarred orc face. I am Axel Ronholm, 
Centurion of the 13th Company of the Ninth Legion of the Crimson Reach Army. Identify yourself. I am Vander Finnick, and these are my associates. Pleasure to meet you, Centurion. We find ourselves in a most interesting situation. What brings you into this tunnel? We were on maneuvers and needed to get away from the Empire. So, we move down here, unaware that once you enter, you can never leave. Do we recognize their uniform at all? You recognize the color scheme of the uniform, if not the actual design itself. And you also understand that the Crimson Reach Army is an army of green-skinned warriors from the far south. If I have understood your dress correctly, Centurion, you are far from home. He appraises you briefly before responding. Yes, we are tasked with moving against the Empire. Well then, this is most fortuitous. We too are stuck down here without a way of escape, but we also share your deep hatred for the Empire. Perhaps there is the possibility that we could work together. Possibly, but you do not look like military men. We are most certainly not of the military, but please don't confuse that with us not being useful. You look like a broken individual. Experienced is the term I prefer, but certainly I am keener of mind than of body. My associates, though, are by no means broken, and collectively we possess an intriguing skill set. There is just the four of you? There are just the four of us, yes. Deception check, please. A 15. There could be a space for an alliance of sorts. What led you to this cave? We were already in flight from the Empire when we made our way into an entrance, which was quickly caved in. We then traversed the tunnels and eventually found ourselves confronted with a horde of zombies who we narrowly escaped by unpicking the lock to the vault, which is at the end of this tunnel. We are now, as you are, locked in and searching for a way out. Did you lock the vault behind you? We did. A matter of safety. Are you natives of Athalon? Some of us. We do hail from different regions. I see. And what do you know of this place? From what I understand, a terrible misfortune befell the dwarves who dwelled here. A blight that caused zombification. And it appears that blight may have been caused by a drow. Do you know of this legend? It is no legend. Like all problems, it stems from the Elastari. And in this case, a Vastic called Lothar Janeth. We entered this place four days travel to the north and were set upon immediately by him and his army. He forced us back here and we had to take to the tunnels, which have provided us with some safety. We are far enough away from his hordes, but it is not wise to talk in the tunnels. Let us return to the vault to talk further. Certainly. He lowers his hand and the defensive formation is loosened. And Vander goes with him. I'm going to use a cantrip and send a message to Benny. Simply says, keep yourself concealed if you can. The orcish soldiers begin to march in uniform steps back towards the vault. The leader, actual Runholm, stares at Augustus as he passes him. <laughs> Augustus gives no reaction, just tries to keep a kind of poker face. I won't speak to him as he goes by. Panda follows amiably. Top and take all flank, Panda. Yeah, I'll follow Dan, follow the Emperor and his his droids. <laughs> <laughs> Benny stares absolute daggers at Vander's back, but he follows his play and just hangs back 
in the shadows. Doesn't go into the vault, but kind of just, just waits in the tunnel in the shadows just outside. The rest of you make your way into the vault and the soldiers each take positions near one of the bedrolls. A couple of them go over to the Umber Hulk skeleton and attempt to try and find meat on the bone, but they're scraping away and they're not getting much off of it at all. Axel approaches Vanda. Do you or your friends have any food rations? We do have meager supplies, yes, and of course we'd be prepared to share them with you. And Vanda duly does this. Please remove one ration from your inventory. I notice you have two automatons. We do, both of a rare design, though you may speak with them directly if you wish. He approaches Tok. Automaton, whom do you serve? I am a member of this party. Are you sentient? Ah, Tok's no good at dis deceiving people anyway. That is correct. We are under the impression there was no sentient automatons left. You're an interesting group. And then another orc takes his helmet off. We must move. Both our Jeanette's ability to control time is powerful, but it's still trickery. Yes, Ogak. As you can see, my men are eager for battle and to escape this place. How many were you when you entered this network of caves? There was around 20 of us. Most have been killed, one captured. I'm sorry to hear that. Do you believe you can recover him? We certainly intend to try. I think it makes tactical sense to work together. We could enter Lothargeness Palace in the Northern Drift. Splitting the party to attack from two sides could allow us to defeat him, rescue our man, and escape back to the light and to freedom. The light, the freedom. Apt words in our current situation. In the interests of both, I have a little confession. Centurion, you will be aware that the best commanders employ trickery when they need to. Of course. I do trust you now, Centurion, and so I will tell you that there is an additional man in our party, a gifted rogue who will be of great service to us. You'll understand that when we first met, I needed to be sure of your intentions, which I now am. We have also taken the liberty of liberating a sword from the chest that we found. You opened the box. We did. How did you manage it? We could not. I suspect that has something to do with my associate, Augustus, and his calling. And at this point, Augustus brings the sword out uh, and mutters Ember to get the sword to light up. And it ignites. I give you light. This is trickery. I'll have no part of it. I'm interested in your other man, though. Where is he? He'll be with us shortly, I have no doubt. I decide now's probably a good time to step out of the tunnel and come into the vault. The orcs turn quickly to look, and Axel staring at you, Benny. Impressive. You're a man of much talent. Thanks, yeah, it's been, it's been said. And then he puts two fingers into his mouth and whistles. <whistles> from behind you, Benny, an orc appears from the shadows. My men are of equal talent. That is sound tactical reasoning to keep something in reserve. Damn it. I wish we had another sneak to sneak out behind their sneak. Is the new orc wearing heavy armor or is he also dressed as a rogue? He's actually bare chested. He's just wearing like a loincloth and a pair of furry boots. I give him a, a nod of acknowledgement at his uh, stealthiness. And he nods back and goes, takes his place next to the final remaining bedroll. Augustus is still staring at the sword like Smeagol at the One Ring. Centurion, Vanda says, his eye gleaming. I believe 
we can most certainly work together. Lee offered our support years ago, during the Great Freedom War. Diplomats from both continents turned us away. They declared us savages and untrustworthy. Let us hope that cooler heads prevail on this day. Indeed. It seems at last the people of Athlon have learnt their lesson, and that great wrong will be righted. And he goes to sit down and remove bits of his armour as he stretches, obviously deciding now is the moment to take a rest comfortable in your company. Vander does likewise and sits down nearby. So, you, broken one, are you the leader of this regiment? We're a democracy, Vander says cryptically. <laughs> I find democracy does not work in military matters. I think we make it somewhat effective, but I do have a suggestion. It sounds to me that this Lothar needs a good killing. What say you, gentlemen? Augustus is still got. He's still staring at the flaming sword, but and without taking his eyes off the blade, he says, "Gentlemen, my senses have been plagued by evil since we first came into this never-ending dungeon. I think it's our sacred duty to rid this place of the blight that controls it. I think we must find this Lothar and destroy him." Not about sacred duty, but it seems like it's our only way to get out of this place, isn't it? So it gets my vote. Indeed, I find it to be acceptable. Duty, fate, and desperation make us good allies to you, I believe, Commander. <laughs> the big three. <laughs> the big three. My men are eager and will follow orders, and thus it seems we have found an accord. So, we begin planning. You, despite broken appearances, are a keen planner. We have maps of the tunnels. The tunnels lead up to his palace in the northern mining drift. We can travel there three to four days depending on pace. Once there, we can disperse and begin to plan our assault. This will allow us to avoid the undead, but the most likely form of attack will be umber hulks. If nothing else, they're a good source of protein. I feel then that we must proceed, using your directions, of course, into the tunnels towards Lothar. Agreed. But what we need now is rest. It will give us time to plan for other eventualities. I agree. What do you know of... Lothar's lair. It is a palace of lies and trickery. He has converted the northern mining drift into his own sanctum of research and experimentation. The walls of reality bend and shape to his will. But with enough of us, with our keen minds, we can take the fight to him. We have some experience of this, but tell me, does Lothar employ bees? <laughs> so Augustus finally looks away sharply from the blade of the sword at Vander and Axel. If he does not know of our fear of bees, then I believe we will be fine. I'm glad it's now our fear of bees. <laughs> The orc who appeared from the shadows picks up a water skin and goes to sit next to Benny. This is some orcish ale. You're a very impressive room. Oh, very much. Pretty good yourself. Well, I've been trained in the military. Yourself? Oh, I got trained on the streets, pickpocketing and the like, you know. I'll never understand you humans, the way you treat the poor and the desperate. Yeah, I've not, I've not quite worked it out either, to be honest. How did you meet this lot? It's a bit of a long story, I suppose, but um, 
Yeah, I mean, essentially, uh, Vander over there, the chap in mask, he hired us to do a bit of a job, and um, yeah, it all sort of spiralled out of control. And here we are. I see. If you don't mind me asking, why do you work with such a broken person? In our place, someone like that would have been killed at birth. It's a burden, surely. Now, I don't like to speak well of Vander, but there's a fair bit more to him that meets the eye. He's pretty sharp, and he can handle himself when pushed. And that's that's as much as you'll get out of me in terms of being nice about him. But a lot of people have tried to kill him, and nobody's managed it yet, so he must be doing something right. Vander rises. Excuse me, burden coming through, as he makes his way to Benny. I say, oh yeah, and one more thing, he is just about bloody everything. Yes, Vander. Benny, a quick word, if I may. Uh, yeah. And he strolls out of the group. Excuse me one sec. And uh, follow Vander. I appreciate that in our current circumstances, training of any type will not be possible. But do allow me to give you some advice, if I may. Is this the whole fireball thing, Vander? It has something to do with the enormous fireball, yes. Yeah, go go on then. And of course, the lightning you struck me with. Yeah, no, you've made your point. I get you, yeah. The enemy of anger is focus. If you feel a lack of control, the key is to find something on which you can focus. I appreciate that is sparse advice, but I'm afraid that is all I can give you in our current circumstances. No, I I appreciate that. Hey, Vanda, what what do you use? Pain. Right, fair enough. I'll I'll have a think on that. Thank you. Vanda nods and makes his way back to the Centurion. I go back and sit next to the other the other rogue and then um, try out the Orcish Ale. It's surprisingly sweet, which really takes you by surprise. It's, it's very pleasant, if a little bit, you know, room temperature. If nothing else, this adventure has got me trying out all drinks at World, and, uh, you know, for that I'm grateful. <laughs> Tok and Tick. One of the Orcs in Heavy Armour has approached you, removed helmet, to reveal pigtails one purple one yellow she is obviously very muscular underneath the armor you know how to use the weapon you have there and she points at your sword indeed i have received training from the broken one he knows how to handle a blade he has provided expert instruction how do i know i can trust you i am unclear we have been fighting the empire for over a decade and the empire looked a lot like you The Empire is comprised of humans and their automaton slaves. I am no slave. She looks at you appraisingly. Do you play chess? I am unfamiliar with that term. Come sit. And she beckons you over to a chair and there's a dragon chess set on an upturned crate. (laughs) Talk and sit and, um, and wait patiently. As she begins to teach you the rules of dragon chess, Augustus, uh, another of the orcs, approaches you. So, you got the sword? Yes, it would appear so. It's a a strange day for me, locked in a vault, but I've claimed a magical flaming sword. I'm Legionus Shebenton from Crimson Reach. Pleasure to meet you. I'm Augustus Zeno, and he gives him a bone-crunching handshake. I hail from the old continent of Cantioch. Oh, Cantioch. I thought you looked a little bit podgy. And he grabs you around the belly and basically kind of grips the small amount of fat that there is. How does Augustus react to that? (laughs) Augustus sort of hunches up his shoulders, kind of resisting the urge to shove him away, uh, but just looks uncomfortable, but doesn't sort of fight him off. (laughs) And he laughs and 
pat you heavily on the arm. Ah, you're not like the others from Kantiak, are you? You're no coward. I would hope not, sir. Oh, sir. I see. You're obviously of finer stock. It's not for me to say. Are you too fine to share a drink with me? No, of course not. I'd be delighted to. He pulls out a small vial which has a pale blue liquid in it. There's two shots worth in here. I'll have half, you have the other. I've got detect poison and disease, but that's a spell. I don't think I'm going to waste it on this. So suspicious. I mean, actually, Augustus is not going to, he's not going to delay. Very, very well, pour away. He looks around for some fine crystal glasses that this is going into. And while he's looking around for the fine crystal, the orc, having popped the top, drinks half of it straight out of the vial and hands it to you while pulling a slightly twisted face. I'll put hair on your kidneys. Not pausing to correct his knowledge of at least human anatomy. Who knows, maybe orcs do have hairy kidneys. But Augustus chops it down in one. It is brutal. (laughs) It is. It burns from the moment it hits your lips all the way down your gullet. (laughs) <laughs> and hair grows on my kidneys. That's grog brew, that is. Oh, yeah. See, now we're battle brothers. Yes, it was rather enjoyable. Thank you so much. Are you attempting to put a brave face on it? Absolutely. Give me a performance check. <laughs> Nine. Attempting to play it cool after the shot, you, you involuntarily burr, uh, and it burns as you do so. One of my eyes just slowly shuts. <laughs> and sh- <laughs> uh, Shay Benton, the orc legionary, laughs. <laughs> oh, we're going to be fine friends. That we are, my good friend. And where do you come from? How do you come to be in this band of unfortunate soldiers locked in this strange dungeon? Uh, I'm from Crimson Beak. We all are. We were, we're undefeated. We're the 13th company of the 9th Legion. There's nobody finer than us in the entire military. I can see that. It's a fine band. We were sent by the Imperator Jaquil, sent over here to kill the Emperor. So, you know, nice and easy. Very good goal. That's a that's a handy task to be given. How many of you were sent? More, more than six, one would hope. Yeah, the full company of 20. Full company of 20. What was your, your plan to reach and kill the Emperor with such a small number, albeit of obviously fine warriors? We landed on the south and we thought we'd quietly move our way before sneaking our way onto Alphon. And how did you come to be here in the mountains? We figured moving underground, avoiding detection from the Emperor's lapdogs would be the way to go. And then we entered this God's Forsaken place six weeks ago and immediately set upon by that Fashtik and his personal army of petrified shorthands. We tried to escape, imprison my brother, and using his arcane trickery, he willed us down. And now here we are, all that's left. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So your brother is the hostage that your leader mentioned? No. Uh, Shaq, he's he's a unique figure, but he's still alive, and they'll struggle to kill him. He is still alive. How do you know this? I don't know. Magic users, probably some kind of ceremony they're trying to perform. Yes, sounds troubling. We should certainly reach him and set him free as soon as we can. Oh, I'll tell you, if we can set him free, oh, the damage he'll do. He's very, very angry. I would not want to be in Lothar's shoes right now. So when the conversation with the other rogue comes to a natural pause, and he gets up and says, just uh, excuse me one sec, and uh, stroll over to Augustus and say, Augustus? Yes, Benny? 
just a straight, just a quick one. But what were you on about when you were yelling about Lenny on the stagecoach? A very strange thing, Benny. When I looked from the window of the carriage, in among the broken houses of the city, I suppose the city of the dead, we have to call it now, I distinctly saw Lenny running and barking just for a fleeting moment. I can provide no rational explanation. Perhaps we could hope that it's the magic of Lothar that has been mentioned, some illusion, but we appear to be far from his fortress. It's I, I have no explanation to offer. Yeah, because that's not possible. Lenny's on airship, didn't bring him with us. And it could not be something to do with the, the summoning and sending him away that we've been doing? Somehow he could have been summoned to you, bound to you in some way? Um... No, I think we're I think we're too far away, to be honest. Um don't think that would be possible. He also, as I mentioned, appeared to wink at me previously. Sorry, what? I well I'm I mentioned it to you, perhaps it has slipped your mind during the what I suppose I must call zombie apocalypse that we just experienced. Yeah. <laughs> but when we were if you recall when we tricked Thrain into leaving the main part of the village of Haven and meeting us in the woods, Lenny somehow made the sound that drew Thrain away and distinctly winked at me when I looked at him. Now, I appreciate you may now be concluding that the Lenny-related news you're receiving is a result of insanity on my part. However, I feel I must provide you with the information as it appears to me, and that those two strange experiences have at least appeared to me to have happened. Well, and don't take this the wrong way, I do feel... But <laughs> you're a raving lunatic. Sorry. I do feel reassured that Lenny's not actually out there amongst the rubble based on this second anecdote. I don't know what's I don't know what's going on. It's somewhat weird, but it does seem like it's only happening to you. It does, Benny. I as I say, I've had no other strange experiences of the sort relating to anything else. Uh, but as I say, I have no explanation. Perhaps Vander or Tok may have some deeper knowledge. Perhaps now is not the time to Yeah, no, you're right. Up. Probably Probably not the time, but so much to think about. All right, thanks, Augustus. I return to my seat. If you're ever looking for a way to accuse someone of being utterly insane in a really polite way, that was a masterclass. <laughs> GPs are going to be listening to that audio. Like, here's, here's how to ask your patient, have they completely lost touch with reality? Absolutely. All very good, but it does appear to be happening only to you. <laughs> Vander, the centurion Runholm uh, is sat with you and looking out at basically both sides, getting on quite well. This is a good sign. Both groups get on well. It appears they do, which bodes well for us in the coming drama. I've been impressed. Honor has been satisfied, and I'm sure we can work together to take down Lothar Janeth. I'm pleased to hear that, centurion, as I believe without one... The other cannot escape this place alive. We should get moving. It's not a safe pace at the best of times. This may be a futile gesture, Commander. There's something I would like you to have. And with that, Vander passes a small note on parchment, on which is displayed the insignia of the Heron. You mentioned that part of the downfall of our current situation was the lack of allying with your kind in the battles that have been in the past. Maybe this will salve that wound and form a new beginning of sorts. This looks like the inner politics of the Athlon people, and as was made clear by diplomats at the time, Athlon has no interest in Axiomar or Crimson Peak. 
So while I wish you luck in this bird venture, it is not for me or my people. Quite understand, says Vander, inwardly nettled, but none of that shows on his broken face, and the parchment disappears back into his robes. Men, shoot up. And the orcs suddenly stand up, helmets on, shield and swords ready, and they get immediately into formation. Panda looks at our group and the distinct difference between <laughs> how we approach that sort of thing. Gentlemen, stroll. Uh, Top and Tick will again uh, flank Panda. Yeah, Augustus will sort of get himself slowly organised, pack a few things, unpack a few other things, pack them back up again. Um, oh, Top will thank the, uh, the orc who um, was teaching him chess before, uh, before they leave. Does he play one final move and say checkmate before walking away from the table? <laughs> I just have a quick check through my stuff, make sure everything's in place, and I'm good to go. You didn't stand to attention at Vanda's order. Did not do that. 13th Company, march. And the orcs head into the tunnels, closely followed by you guys. Uh, as we're walking along, uh, Tok will ask Vanda, he'll say, uh, Vanda, weary, what is the plan? And there was me imagining you might offer me a ride. Vander pauses and then, in the midst of his desperate shuffling to try and keep up with the basic walk of the Legion, says, The plan currently is to use the knowledge we have of the tunnels to find a location at which time we can plan more directly how we will assail this Lothar. Tok will sort of accept this and um, uh, offer to to give Vander a lift. Vander takes that very well. <laughs> Why, thank you, Tok. Tok will give him a piggyback. <laughs> and then as we go past the other orcs, I'm going to turn and say, Tok, look at their muscles and their working bodies. How wonderful. Augustus, can I have a religion check, please? Six. What a paladin. Yeah, I know. What a paladin. <laughs> Fuck off. He's agnostic. <laughs> um, as you're making your way through the tunnel, Augustus, you hear the voice of Tear in your head. Augustus, champion of Tear, the decision will be put to you soon. Choose wisely. Presumably, if you'd rolled well, you'd have some information about what that decision is. <laughs> Choose number four. <laughs> in the multiple choice quiz I like how Tyr sounds a bit like a, a cockney gangster in a 70s flip like get a carter or something <laughs> so Augustus broods on that for a little while and whenever the next opportunity comes he'll put it in his notebook from the world famous hooker prophet can I have a d20 from Benny then 8 on the d20 from Benny a investigation check for Tok. Tok will guide himself on this one. Uh, 16 for Tok. And a survival check from Vander, please. That's an 8 for Vander. You're just going to find I'm slumped off your back in a minute. <laughs> just going to just <laughs> lither to the ground. First things first, Tok, as you're carrying Vander through the darkened tunnels with your bullseye lantern lit and facing forward, you notice a wonderfully smooth Pebble. Ah, uh, it would direct Tick to pick it up. Uh, a Tick picks up the tourmaline gemstoned pebble. Ah, I believe this is a pear. Um, Tok will take it and put it in his bag of holding. Benny, roll a d100 for me, please. 33. So you guys travel and make your way through the tunnels for 
a good eight hours. The orcs are there marching, perfectly precisioned, not a misstep, no signs of exhaustion or anything like that. You guys are sort of shambling around behind them. You reach a point where the tunnel splits into three and Centurion actual Ronholm holds his fist up in the air. We should be heading right, but I know there's a safe camp ahead. Can you keep up the pace for another eight hours or should we stop and rest? I mean, Vanda's <laughs> feeling fresh as a daisy, but <laughs> probably not the time to jump in with that. It seems unlikely that all four of us will pass contracts for eight hours. Benny glances around and says, yeah, I reckon Top could do a break. I thought the automaton would be tougher, but there we go. Men, the machine needs to rest, so we rest. Tertiary camp ahead. And he marches his men directly ahead. Top will not react or correct anybody. <laughs> <laughs> The military orcs from the Crimson Peak set up a lovely camp in a little kind of alcove to the tunnel. They unroll their bedrolls, set up a campfire. Everything is basically done for you guys. If you need to have a short rest or if there's anything you get back on a short rest, now is the time to do that. Tok will take out his um, little leather uh, 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 case, uh, um, open it, uh, if, you know, find a spot in the corner and again pour some uh, a small measure of water inside and then seal it back up. Ark, says Vander, his eye gleaming. Yes, Vander. Were you just feeding something? No, Vander, it was water. Were you just allowing something in your bag to sate its thirst? In a manner of speaking, yes. I see. How very intriguing. I don't suppose you would bestow a further explanation on me? Um, Doc will take the case out, open it, and show it to Vander if he wants. Again, like a golden light spills out over um, Doc's face, and a Vander comes over to take a look. She will. It's like a, a small cylindrical case, about, I don't know, six inches diameter. And as Doc opens it up, you'll see inside is a bed of soil and uh, three small saplings that look a bit strange because they're all glowing with a golden light. The light is coming from the saplings. By all the fires above and below, says Vander as he looks at the three saplings. What are these, Tok? These are Jerima saplings, Vander. Fascinating. They are special to me. And what do you intend to do with them? I have plans. I am unsure of the feasibility. I wish to grow them. Thank you for sharing this small miracle with me. I will, of course, keep it to myself. I would find that to be acceptable. Vander leaves Tok's side and makes his way to the furthest point away from the group in the cave and begins to burn incense, which I assume makes quite the amount of smoke because, of course, we're in a confined cave. Yep, pungent as well. Uh, but he's not worried about that. He's going to carry on burning his incense and then his hands begin to move as he begins uttering secret words. This culminates in a particular gesture which Vander has recently mastered, and from the smoke emerges Bellerophon. Axel approaches you. So, you're a magic user then? In a manner of speaking, this is not the kind of trickery you've experienced, I suspect, from the loathed Lothar. This is a ritual, and with that may I introduce my familiar, Bellerophon. And Bellerophon's two eyes focus one after the other on the orc. I observe Bellerophon survived being eaten by the Umber Hulk. He did indeed. He's also very poor for indigestion. You know, back in Crimson Peak, 
each taught from young age to raise animals ourselves. This is a chameleon, no? Yes, it is. But before Vander can finish that, the tongue has lashed out and given a sloppy lick. <laughs> Axel catches the tongue between his thumb and forefinger and he lets it go. Bellerophon, now looking somewhat wounded, crawls back on Vander's shoulder and ran behind his neck, as if hiding now from the orc. Quite so. Never mind Bellerophon. No, meant no offence, obviously. We all care deeply for animals. Is he always chameleon, your pet? If Bellerophon has another form, I've yet to see it. But make no mistake, he is so much more than a chameleon. And your compatriots, they have pets too? We have rather a menagerie of pets aboard our ship, which I'm sorry to say is some distance away. Ah, one is a dog, yes? One is a dog, yes. Yes, we've seen it moving through the tunnels recently. We wondered where it came from. Vanda describes the dog to make sure we're talking about the same creature. Yes, fluffy and big eyes. Did you have any interaction with the animal? No. It looked at us and disappeared behind some rocks. Could Benny hear this or am I, am I elsewhere? Benny, you're all in a kind of closely knit camp. But how's this possible? Lenny's not here. Lenny's back on ship. Lenny used the name of the dog? Yeah, that's right, yeah. He seemed like a normal dog. Nothing untoward. There's something very weird going on. It is your dog? Yeah, that's right. Maybe it followed you. Dogs are loyal. I suppose I suppose it's possible. Oh, I liked this a lot more when I thought Augustus was losing his mind. He don't like the dog. I thought he was having some sort of hallucination. What kind of man does not like dogs? But yeah, well, I know. Right, we're going to need to keep an eye out then, aren't we? If Lenny's really here. Most definitely. Men, if we see dog, we are to alert. Ah, I did not ask. What is the name of your group? Well, that is an interesting question, is it? You may call us the Order of the Heron. For now. Nah, the bird from the parchment. You're trying to foment a rebellion. Fair enough. Vanda smiles. Men, if you see the dog, let the Order of Bird know. It's <laughs> oh, right all over our heron. Very kind, Centurion. <laughs> Tokyo are approached by Morga, uh, who offers you another game of chess. Uh, if we're waiting, uh, Tok will definitely play. The rest of them take what small rations they have out of their packs, ready to eat. This may be a problem. We're running low on rations. Now start looking for fungus. Do you and your friends need food? Tok will take out of um, uh, take out of his bag of holding the little bag of food that we had prepared for Rosalind, and uh, will offer it to the uh, to the orcs. This food was purchased for a portal. I am unsure whether it is palatable to orcs. So inside is a bunch of roots, nuts, and snake meat. One of the orcs takes it. All right, this will be quite delicious. Thank you very much, Master Automaton. Well, it was Tuck, wasn't it? Indeed, that is my designation. That is kind. And this is, what is the name of your brother? His designation is Tick. He does not speak. Yeah, confusing. But thank you very much for the food. And he kind of samples it out, hands it out to the rest of the soldiers. Can everyone take, everyone who needs to eat, please remove one ration from your inventories. This time, can I have a survival check from Tok? Tok gets a 14 for survival. An investigation check from Banda. Uh, and Banda gets a 23 for investigation. 
and a d20 from Augustus. Eight for Augustus. Roll a d100, please, Augustus. Doesn't sound good. 41 on the d100. Vanda, as you're sat around the campfire, something catches your eye in the, the corner of the kind of muddy tunnel that you find yourself in. Buried underneath a selection of kind of rocks and pebbles that have clearly collapsed from the roof down onto the floor, you see a small piece of parchment. I summon Bellerathon. The rest of you are treated to the long dance of Bellerathon, <laughs> pulling a piece of parchment out from under the rubble and quicker than he did the book, but still relatively slowly dragging it. <laughs> and the orcs are now kind of all watching this mildly obsessed and entertained with the chameleon kind of struggling with this piece of parchment and he finally drags it up onto your lap. Vanda pats Bellerophon on the head. A battle won, Bellerophon, and reads the parchment. You have found a scroll of lightning bolt. Have I? A, a, so, a scroll of lightning bolt. So you can, when, when you're at the suitable level, you can basically read that and learn the spell you can copy it into your book effectively or you could use it as a single time to cast it but you couldn't copy it then oh okay so i've got one powerful spell i can use now or a spell i can have forever if i wait for the appropriate level you guys awaken the following morning well rested and the orcs are up when you wake up and they're already in formation waiting for the off they double back along the tunnels with you guys following and take the right hand turn as they intimated that they would the traveling is hard going for the next eight hours. And once again, you are propositioned towards the end of the day by Axel. Tok would probably be willing to go on for longer, but... Um... I mean, not the thing I'd I'd say in character, but out of character, I don't see any particular reason why we would flog our characters to death so they get exhausted before we get to the fight. Yeah, because so that we look good in front of the new people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I agree with Al. So once again, the orcs set up camp. That's at one point while we camp, Benny walks to the edge of the camp and just calls out, Lenny, here boy. There's no response. I'm reminded of Whistle and I'll come to you, my lad. Slightly forlorn, Benny walks back to camp. Doc will ask uh, Centurion Runholm for a uh, map of the tunnels just in case we have to flee through them or something. But um, yeah. He willingly gives it over. Everyone take another day's ration, please. How many of you have got left? Got four. Four also. I've only got half a ration now. I don't know. Because you're a pig. No. <laughs> no. You probably wasted some on some children or something. <laughs> Rude, but fair. Tok will, at regular intervals, take out the cat totem and just do an invisibility sweep of our camp. So Augustus wanders up to Tok. As if there's a break in Tok's never-ending chess marathon. Tok, I, I have a request. I, I don't know if this would be possible, but I wonder if a modification to the cat totem could be achieved. I am unsure. What are the details of the modification? Well, Tok, a gentleman, a human gentleman, might well wear a monocle. Now, I do not currently possess a monocle, but it occurs to me that the cat totem, the limitation of the cat totem is that we, you have to remove it and very conspicuously look through it. Whereas if one of its lenses could somehow be removed and used as a monocle, uh, like a pair of glasses, but just one lens, then I could inconspicuously wear that, looking dashing in the process, and theref thereby happen to notice, because only one eye would be covered by the lens, when we were in the presence of any invisible creature. That would indeed be advantageous. Is there any possibility you could craft such a thing? I wouldn't want you to break our precious cat totem. So, Dom? <laughs> I'm going to say yes, because I quite like the idea. Oh, okay. Oh, magic monocle and flaming sword in one day. <laughs> How am I to sleep tonight? 
it's going to take time though because you're you're basically asking Tok to break down an existing magical item in order to create a whole new magical item so I'm going to suggest that it costs money and time or add it to my account Tok so it would be 2,000 gold and 10 weeks worth of work that's fine It'll come in handy when it's done yeah uh, so you guys get a good night's sleep and once again the orcs are ready in the morning for the off can I have a D20 from Benny? Just a 14 on the D20. A investigation check from Augustus. Uh, and 16 for Augustus. And a survival check from Vanda. A 20 for Vanda's survival check. So you guys travel for the full eight hours and you notice that the temperature in the tunnels has got a little bit warmer. Axel stops to address all of you. We are approaching the Northern Drift mining area now. I suggest it is sound tactics to make camp on the outskirts, study the exterior of Lothar Palace of Lies, prepare for the challenges ahead. I would find that to be acceptable. Good. Men, set up camp in the tunnels. Order of birds. If there is anything you need to prepare before we enter, now is the time. Uh, I think Augustus can make holy artifacts like holy water and kind of blessed things, which I think he can make by a kind of ceremony and then he needs them for some of the things he does. Well, if you can make holy water, I think that's probably, considering where we're going, a really good idea. Yeah, I think I can do that. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to need two rations removed from each of you, please. Mm. How much have you got left? And two. There's also a dog around here somewhere. Don't upset the orcs, Alex. Don't upset the orcs. <laughs> yeah, so if, if you wanted to create, if you wanted to use a spell slot in order to create your holy water before the long rest, you are absolutely entitled to do that and you can add it to your inventory. That's no problem. You guys notice that the orcs are training very vigorously in the two-day rest while you guys take a slightly different approach of having a light couple of days. <laughs> you may replenish all of your spell slots. If we've got two days, then actually Tok could do some crafting over that time as well. He could have a go making some um, healing potion because he has herbalism and alchemy and <laughs> every <laughs> skill that exists. One day and 25 gold pieces, so very similar to the Holy water requirements. Do it. Okay, I'll make a, I'll make a couple of them. With Tok crafting away the orcs on manoeuvres, Axel orders Shay to show you guys the Palace of Lies. Vander is already hobbling in that direction. Yeah, likewise Augustus, but without the hobbling. Yeah. Shay leads you up some old vines to an exit to the tunnel and back into the massive cavern. Hanging from the ceilings are huge bits of rusted metal machinery. And in the near distance, carved out of the rock face, is an ornate palace entrance. Powers of bones bookend each wing of it, while the interior is protected by a fascia of twisted elven design. An open drawbridge covers a ravine with a river of lava at the bottom. Lothar Janeth's palace stands before you, a monument to the blight in Verokir, and your only known way out. And we'll end it there. Humans of Dice Company would like to thank the following sweethearts for their support. Richard Gordon, Rabbi Camel, Team Vander, Path Pursuit, Paris Pekar, Julia Zeno, Shovels, Mama Strange, Queenie, Liz Beckett, Axel Runholm, Shay Benton, Chris from North London.
Thanks for listening, everyone. And now over to our Terran Cryer, Alex, for an update on the Dice Company universe. Okay, so as always, we've had lots of amazing replies to our social media stuff, far funnier and more inventive than uh, anything we can come up with. So for one post, we uh, previewed this episode and said that we're heading into the City of the Dead. And if you were doing that, who would you take as your pal if you could take one person from fiction? So the answers we had included Superman, B.A. Baracus, Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Gandalf, The Doctor, Hellboy, Ed from Shaun of the Dead, which I loved, uh, Nigella Lawson, the chef, who apparently could make excellent bone broth from the undead, slightly bleak, uh, and Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, who will say it's too dangerous to enter, according to Alistair slash Reet Northerner on Blue Sky. We've already got a Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. We did bring one. On the grounds that he'll say it's too dangerous to enter, we're a bit late, you think? Yeah, where were you in that one, Shags? Uh, I got told by the DM that I wasn't allowed to say, let's not do stuff like that. That is... Uh, I... No... Uh, Take that back. <laughs> <laughs> Embrace the chaos, he said. Follow it when someone's got an idea. Don't say no. <laughs> exactly. I stand by it. Uh, so Jalanta on Blue Sky says that she's enjoying our fun facts and has taken it for her own game. It's not a podcast. It's not broadcast. But they're, uh, she mentioned they're using it and that it's just it's shamelessly stolen from us. So we're delighted to hear that. And it's a good way to develop the characters. Love it. Very cool. Very cool. Asked our social media buddies what they're TTRPG character would like for Christmas uh, and I- ideas included a spring-loaded dagger thrower and to be left alone. <laughs> uh, Lady Asabat said books, tea and for the multiple catastrophes of the world to stop bothering her for a day. I feel that one. Purple Grave Beast King Heathen. Great name. I mean, just before you tell me whatever he wanted, we should get it. That's a great name. Well, <laughs> it's a bit of a tricky list uh, because his character wants... I've already committed us. Let us know what we're in for. Uh, Vanda will appreciate this. Uh, his eye, teeth, arm, and lung back. He's had a hell of a life. Yep, sympathise with that. Uh, and then Brent Feller on Twitter said his half-elven paladin uh, wants his right arm back. Barring that, can I have a boomstick to be mounted in the place of my stump sword? Yes. If that is a reference to Evil Dead, then again, huge yes. Definitely is. Definitely Army of Darkness. Amazing. S marks top of the line. Amazing. I mean, your computer's being creepy again. It's doing the thing where it, like, plays clips of audio. I was on mute. I don't know if it's you then, but I just heard myself say, let's time to a tree, make sure I don't go anywhere. Now, it's funny you should say that, because the last time you... I didn't actually say this to you. The last time you mentioned this, I listened to the hard recording, and it was coming through on all channels. You didn't, you didn't make it up. It was there in the yeah. audio, in the recording for every channel. Where's it coming from? I don't know. It's a bit creepy. It is, isn't it? Thanks for listening. Please consider supporting Dice Company on Patreon, where for the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to a whole other show, Extra Roll, as well as an ad-free listening experience. The Dice Company Discord server, along with our socials, can be found on our link tree in the show notes. If you enjoyed this chapter, please like and subscribe, and don't forget to recommend us to your friends. If you didn't like it, recommend us to your enemies. And we'll see you next time on Dice Company. Dice Company.